0: so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time, so please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level.
1: It's kind of this this juggle and this dance of... I. I I'm at my best when I'm creating great work and when I'm when I'm putting myself out there. But I'm I need the entrepreneurial driven side to get more people to see it and ultimately to help more people. So we need both. But it can feel like this dance of like, how do I do both with integrity? And how do I like how do I put my work out there when it's vulnerable and when I have resistance and when I feel like an imposter? And, it, so it's, it's a dance, I think.
0: Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imprint. I'm looking forward to sharing my conversation with today's guest, Laura Higgins. I came across Laura a few years ago through our mutual friend, Lauren from Salt at Shoal Bay. And I just instantly connected with Laura. She's got a great positive energy, really passionate about what she does. And she is actually sort of has evolved her business to help creatives really take their business to the next level. We go through so many great topics that I think you're gonna find really valuable, whether you're just considering, you know, exploring your creativity and maybe turning it into something that can earn you an income, Or if you're in the thick of it, we go through the whole spectrum. Laura is such a positive energy. She is someone that I trust so much. I've sought her advice in times when I've been in a crossroads with my own business. And she has an amazing um, group coaching community that she runs called The Next Level Club. She has a great podcast that I love listening to. And, you know, it's on all the, the social platforms, which all the links are in the show notes. But um, I won't keep you away from her any more because I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Please enjoy Laura Higgins. Hi, Laura. I am so so excited to have you on the podcast. I um, I was actually on your podcast a little while ago, and I feel like we could just talk for hours and hours about <laughs> all the things. And um, <laughs> but before we do. Uh first of all, I would, you know, I've done a little bit of an intro about who you are and the things that you do, but I always like to start with these with getting a little bit more of an insight into your journey, how you got to be where you are today. And in particular, I I'm curious about this singing thing. I hear little sort of tidbits <laughs> about like I was in a group or I was singing with my uh family. So um <laughs> many of the people who listen to this podcast are creatives or they work you know, in the kind of creative industry. And, um, so, yeah, I think it'd be fun to start with there, like a little bit of background about where you grew up and, you know, how you got to be where you are today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Nat. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to chat with you as I also feel the same. I feel like we could talk for a really long time. So I'm happy that we've, we've hit record. Um, otherwise we would have been chatting for a really long time. Um, okay. So, my background i love i love that we're kicking off with my like background at doing music things because this is something that probably a lot of people don't know about me um and it's actually really linked to how i started my business because i when i finished i bailed on uni i was studying um journalism and i was then then i kind of started studying graphic design and was like i don't know if i'm detail oriented enough for this and while i was doing that through uni i was in a family band um so i'm one of five and um, growing up we always played music together my dad's really musical we all grew up um singing and so we started a family band with my three sisters and myself and two of my sisters their husbands were also in the band so it was like a full-on It was a bit of a Fleetwood Mac, like who's related to who kind of vibe, except for there wasn't like, you know, there weren't like affairs or anything like that. (laughs) But it was country folk music. Uh, We played a bunch of country music festivals. We toured around uh, America. We toured all over the place and it was a lot of fun. In my process of doing that, so like I've always been a creative person. I've always loved writing. I've always loved performing. And part of my job in the band was to really look at like, how do we do the social media stuff? And because I'd been studying graphic design, I was like, well, I guess I'll design the website. Like, I guess I'll do that. And I remember so distinctly, there was this, I was sitting, we were in Ohio and I was sitting at a a family friend's place and for whatever reason, I was like, the website needs to be completely redesigned. So I sat on Squarespace, everyone else was socializing. I sat down and I was like, I'm just going to figure out how to do this. And I completely redesigned the website in a few hours and was like, I actually really love doing this. And then my kind of, you know, years of like fiddling and kind of loving photography, loving writing, loving social media, loving content, um, kind of, I guess kind of catapulted me into my job which was social media management when i started so that's kind of how my music has like come into um what i do now
0: i'm curious um and we will get into all of that but do you and sorry if you can hear i the heavens have opened up here i swear to god every single time <laughs> i do a podcast because i'm in a studio with a tin roof it pours with rain like i cannot tell you how many episodes i'm recording like <laughs> this morning was beautiful and now it's pouring rain so i don't know if you can hear that or not but anyway um it's so, so fun. do you, do you still play music or do you still have that as a creative outlet i'm just curious
1: yeah i well like in my office there's a to the side of my desk is my keyboard and i i like to play i like to write music it's it is definitely an outlet for me I think the more busy I get with the business, because like running a business is a lot of the time it can, it can take a lot of your creativity, like, you know, it can be an outlet, but it can also expend a bit of your creativity. So I have found that for me, if I'm in the mood to write or just play or whatever, it's it's been actually something that really energizes me. So I I definitely still love, I still love playing. And if I go to see a live gig, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love, like, I miss this, this was so fun. Um, but also there, you kind of, you can look at things with uh, rose colored glasses as well and kind of think, oh, you know, that's so fun. How fun is touring? And then you realize, no, it's, it's not that fun. <laughs> it's yeah. not that fun at all.
0: <laughs> and I guess similar, you know, this is a little bit off tangent, but I I know a lot of people who listen, you know, they've got something that is a creative hobby and they're thinking, should I take that hobby and professionalize Mm. it? You know, should I make that a career? Should Mm. I turn that into, or do I just leave it as a hobby and something that I enjoy? And I'm curious about your take on that. Um, I like how you say that you feel like your work is in many ways creative and that kind of fulfills that itch. So yeah, I'd be interested to hear your take on it.
1: Yeah. And I, I think I think for me, for a long time, I think I, and I've probably not really shared this before, but I think for a long time, I wanted music to be my career. I, I love, I, I've been, I really loved it. And I was really like, well, I still love it. But I I think for me, making it, you know, a lot of my friends are in the music industry as well. And I think sometimes you can, there's this fine line between taking what you're taking your magic and and really making that your career and i think there's so much value in that but there's also a fine line between kind of sometimes that can mean that you lose that kind of i don't know the shimmer of it because it's like oh well, now this has to this has to make me money which puts a different spin on your expression on your output and it becomes about well what what can i get done and so I think for me, having the two kind of separate has been really good for me um, because I feel like there's, there's like two parts of me that are always in, in balance. One is like um, this very driven, hardworking side that is like, I want to get things done. I want to be successful. I, I love what I do. I love helping as many people as possible. And then there's this artistic side of like wanting to express myself wanting to be authentic wanting to create beautiful things and i think the two can work together and you would experience this nat like the two can work together but I, I think sometimes if it's if it's the two are at war with one another you become conflicted you become really like you make decisions for the wrong reasons and you're trying to make a hobby become a revenue generator and like you said professionalize it and i think you should do what you love but i also think there are some things that you should just do for play as well
0: yeah it's actually as you were saying that i thought wow that's me like <laughs> that's, that's kind of where i am in, <laughs> in in many ways with with my career and, and where i'm at is that you know i've got i i love interiors i love the world of interiors mm. i love creating But I also have this other part of me that actually really enjoys like creating a business, being an entrepreneur, um, you know, creating content. Like I come from a journalism background and and I actually enjoy that, like creating a guide to help somebody or, you know, it's like kind of creating a little magazine almost and all of these things. And so I have these two parts of my personality that sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough creative stuff. And then other times I feel that, Um, you know, I don't know, it's just, it can kind of go both ways. And Mm -hmm. actually I just, a little while ago, well, when my Instagram got attacked and I had to set up a new account and then that's sort of been dormant for a while. And then recently I actually just started posting on that just for creativity, not for, and I do it very sporadically, but it's like, I just want to be able to share something on Instagram. That's not about like, you know oh, you've got to play the algorithm game and, you know, all of that kind of yeah. stuff. And yeah, mm-hmm. anyway, I mean, I don't know if I'll continue with it, but I just, I felt like I needed that within me just to kind of have that, yeah. cre- like tap into the creative side of me. So anyway, I just, yeah, it's, um, yeah. I thought that was interesting to to kind of learn about your I, your take on it and where you are.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, um, I I feel like sometimes we can be, as creatives, and I, maybe this isn't all creatives, but it's certainly been certainly been the experience for me that we can uh, be our own worst enemies in a lot of ways, and we can, you know, kind of procrastinate or self sabotage or kind of want things to be perfect, but then also feel this crippling thing of imposter syndrome at the same time. Or we can we can think, oh gosh, I'm I'm really good at this, and the world needs to know about who I am and what I do, but also I'm a fraud. (laughs) And it's like these two ideas of like, like polar opposites. And, and so I think when we think about business as creatives, we, we kind of have to approach it as a both end and kind of go, well, I'm entrepreneurial, I'm ambitious, I'm driven. And that is not a bad thing. That is a, that's a great thing. If, if you have that in you go with that. But it's also this thing of, but I care about expression. I care about authenticity. I cre- I care about just creating for the sake of creating, and I think when we when we lean into one more than the other, we can lose lose ourselves in the process. So I think it's kind of this this juggle and this dance of I I'm at my best when I'm creating great work and when I'm when I'm putting myself out there but I'm, I need the entrepreneurial driven side to get more people to see it and ultimately to help more people. So we need both, but it can feel like this dance of like, how do I do both with integrity? And how do I like, how do I put my work out there when it's vulnerable and when I have resistance and when I feel like an imposter? And it, so it's, it's a dance, I think yeah
0: yeah it's like a bit of an existential question to start off with <laughs> totally totally I mean, the, the one of the reasons that i wanted to bring you on um to the podcast is that many people who who listen to this podcast are they it's kind of hard i'd probably say like half half like some people they they've been creative or they would consider themselves creative but maybe they went down a career path that wasn't um, you know, tapping into that, maybe taking time out to have children. And they're at this kind of crossroads in their life of like, what's the next step for me, you know, if I'm going to start mm. working again, I want to do something that I love. And then I've also got lots of people who listen who, who do already have some element of that, maybe they've got an Airbnb, or they've got a homeware shop, or, um, you know, they're an interior designer or, or something within that kind of um, creative realm. Mm. And, I met you, sort of, or came across you and, and your work through our mutual friend, um, Lauren Charge, who has the incredible Airbnb um, salt at Shoal Bay, and uh, yes. shout out, hello to Lauren. <laughs> I always like to say, get <laughs> Lauren on the podcast, and, she, and I talked to her about it, but that's a whole other story. So one day, oh my gosh. But, you um... and me both.
1: I try to get <laughs> yeah. her on too, and I'm like, Lauren, I just can't, I can't pin her down. <laughs> um, and
0: and I, I, I instantly connected with what you were sharing with people and your kind of message about really trying to, you know, encourage creatives. And I think at that point, you were perhaps a little bit more social media focused and, and now have kind of transitioned mm. to helping creators as a coach in, in many ways. And I, I just, I love mm. so much of the content that you share. I, you know, I love listening to your podcast and, you know, all your, all your things. I think you're the only person that I actually like actually look at your content on TikTok and things like that. Um, And I really wanted to bring you on because I think that um, you would have some really valuable advice to share because you do coach creatives. And what would you, for somebody who is thinking, you know, I would love to take my love of, let's just say it's like interior styling or interior design. I'd love to take Mm. that. And I'd love to actually start turning that into a business. I want to put my services out there, you know, start trying to find clients, all of those things. What would you say is like one of the key areas that somebody should focus on when they're at that very beginning stage of their journey? And then we'll kind of look at some of the other stages.
1: Yeah, I love this question. So I really think about it as like, there are four key steps and this is kind of the framework that we walk all of our clients through. And there are four key areas. The first is communicate and communicate is all about knowing your message, knowing your niche. It's about understanding, okay, well who am I here to serve and how do I need to speak to them? What words should I use? What, what is my message? What is my offer? What am I actually providing them? And that is like the foundations. And I think for anyone starting out, if you can communicate the promise that you are like offering, if you can communicate to the problem that you're solving, and if you can communicate it in your customer's language, that is like, that is step one. And and that is where we start with everyone we work with, because you can have, you can start marketing, you can start trying to sell, you can start trying to streamline and systemize all the things, but until you learn how to communicate in a way that resonates with your people, you, you're you not gonna see results. So that that to me is like the first foundational step that we need to get right. I really believe that in marketing and in business, the best communicator wins. So it's about knowing, okay, what do I stand for? How do I communicate that? Who am I really here to serve? and starting there okay
0: all right I think that's really important and I think that you know that you touch on this idea of like really getting clear on on who you're trying to serve would you say because I think Mm -hmm. that this is it's hard I think when people are first starting out um and you know talk about niche and all of those things because I mean in some regards like you just want to take anyone anyone who's going to like take your service or sign you on as a client and all of those kind of things and but then there comes a point where I guess you start to think, actually, I've got a few rungs on the board, but I, I actually start to need, need to start making money from this, you know, otherwise it's an expensive yeah. hobby. So yes. I guess that's perhaps like, you know, the, the second stage is like, so first of all, you're pe- perhaps, you know, sharing like, this is the service that I offer. This is like how I can help you, all of those kind of things. Yeah. And then the next is like, yeah. okay, I'm doing this, but I'm actually not making any money. And I'm spending mm-hmm. a lot of time mm-hmm. on this and I feel like I'm not kind of making any progress. What would you say for somebody who's perhaps at that point in their journey?
1: Yeah, I love, I love that question because it probably took me, like I think the process of finding your niche is it, it's a discovery that you that doesn't happen overnight. And I think when I started my business, and I don't know what you were like, Nat, but I I just took on anyone. I was like, if you can pay me, um, I, will, I will do the work and I'll figure it out. And even if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to say, I'll figure that one out and, and we'll figure it out. Like that's, you kind of have to get scrappy initially. And I think a lot of people get in their heads about, well, you know, I need to, like, I, I need to find my niche. I need to make what I was making in my corporate job right off the bat in my business and i just think yes you've got the skill set from years of experience or you maybe you've been doing this for a long time but you've also got to get some runs on the board and i think it's really important that we we yes we char- we need to charge for our value but the way we can charge for our value is by having loads of proof that we have delivered value in the past and that we can deliver value in the in the future. And so I think, you know, initially you just got to get, like maybe it's building your portfolio, like maybe that's the first step. And it's like, I'm, I'm just gonna work with friends and family and I'm gonna do it on the cheap. Don't do it for free, do it on the cheap, that's okay. And then with the, like every time you do it, you have to say, I need a testimonial, I need photos. I need, like you actually, you hold more cards than you think. And you. if you're going to do a trade like that, where it's like, I'm going to just get as much work as possible, and then I'm going to figure out what type of work I do, like I like and what I don't like. But do that so long as you get some proof and some testimonials and some case studies. So everything we're doing is to to help us stack up the proof that we are good at what we do, that we've had experience in this space. So someone who doesn't know you, can trust you because there are a lot of people out there who claim to be coaches or interior designers or stylists or whatever. And unfortunately, there are a lot of bad operators too. And so we have to kind of recognize that our audience, we, we do need to earn their trust. And once you earn their trust, then it's kind of that like, almost like that momentum kicks in and, you can qualify clients instead of them trying to qualify you that can happen and that will happen but first you kind of got the gotta get the like momentum rolling and sometimes it means doing like getting scrappy and and doing (laughs) doing a lot of work to to get the proof that you that you've got the goods what about charging i know
0: that That conversation, it's something that I really struggle with. I am so bad at having conversations about money with with Mm -hmm. other people. I hate asking for things. Like I'm just, it's it's really like, and I think I'm not alone in this. Oh, yeah. For people who are creatives and, you know, you're doing something because you love it. And you, mm. in some ways, like, you'd kind of almost do it even if you weren't paid. <laughs> I think that can be the problem as well. Yes. Um, how, what do you recommend to people who really struggle to know what to charge and also then how to have those conversations? And I think particularly in the design industry where you're, there could be scope creep as well. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can touch on that as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> I totally get this, totally get this. Um, So I think it's about, when it comes to charging and, and pricing yourself, I think it's about identifying how much is this problem costing my prospect? Because it doesn't really matter how much you wanna charge yourself. It doesn't matter how much your time is worth. It doesn't matter about those things. If the problem doesn't cost your client anything, why would they pay for a solution? Like we've actually got to bring it back to rather than it being about you and about your expertise and about your time, bring it back to, okay, is this problem so like, is this problem a pain for my client? Is this keeping them up at night? Is them not having my service or my solution that I'm providing? Does it mean that they they lose? And if that's the case how much would they be willing to pay to have that problem go away? And I think if we can think about it like that, it becomes far less about you and your worth as a human. And it becomes about, it's almost like we hold it outside of ourselves and we go, well, this is the problem. Uh, Let's say that there's someone doing a house reno and they're like, I need an interior designer because I uh, I, I need plans drawn up, I need, X, Y, and Z, I need the finishes all decided for me. And then we kind of go, okay, this is your house. This is kind of big. Like this is where your family's gonna live. This is where you're gonna spend a lot of time. You're gonna have this house for many, many years. So then all of a sudden the value becomes when we hold it out, it's like outside of ourselves, and we go, well, you probably wanna get this right. <laughs> <laughs> like you probably don't want to stuff this up. And one wrong selection, what does that mean for you? You're gonna look at it every day and be like, Ugh, why don't you use those tiles? The worst. So it's actually then becomes, well, how much is this problem worth? And how much is the solution worth? And then you can price from there. So I think when we think about the the problem and when we elevate the problem and the solution, that's when we can really charge premium amounts because we become, well, hey, like, That's a pretty big problem to solve. Uh, It's it's costing you to not have this problem solved. So let's start from there. And I think that becomes a a lot easier when it comes to, and actually one more thing on pricing, I kind of hate it when people say, know your worth and then add tax, like there's a big quote that goes around and I personally am like, it's not about my worth, it's about the value of my service because i think for a lot of us when we when we it comes to pricing we perceive it as our personal value in the world and we think well we either think i'm i'm worth this and i should be able to charge what i want or we think i'm not worth that and i i'm not going to charge that even though we should be charging that so we can kind of be on two ends of the spectrum where when it becomes about the service when it becomes about the problem that we solve it takes the emotional, they like, it kind of can feel emotionally charged pricing. It kind of takes that out of it. It takes the heat out of it and it becomes, okay, Let's just let's just think about it logically and not emotionally. So I think that's a really important thing. It's not about your worth as a human because your worth as a human is like, you have value as a human. Like we all have value as a human. It's about the value that you bring to your customer. It's about the value of your service. So pricing, I think, is just about value. So if you can, can just, communicate yeah. the value, yeah. Yeah.
0: And can I just say, I mean, I'd be curious with the people that you work with in your coaching mm. groups, I, I do think there's a time as well where, you've, where people perhaps have to realize that maybe the people they're sort of trying to offer their services to are the wrong people as well. Yes. Do you you know what I mean? Like, I think that's because this is something that I hear a lot from say students who do my courses is like, Mm. you know, I love styling, I want to do interior styling, I want to help people with their homes. But sometimes and I think, yes, you you know, you can kind of go to those people who perhaps don't have a big budget or whatever in the early days to get the experience and all of that kind of Mm. thing. But there comes a point where you've actually got to find the clients who are going to really value what you do. So maybe they're an architect or they're an interior designer and you can help them with their portfolio or, you know, but somebody who's got no money to begin with, even though you want to help those people. I don't know. Like I'm curious to hear your perspective on that.
1: Yeah. Because I think as well, when we, when we take the service and and kind of hold it out in front of us, rather than it being like our soul, (laughs) because as creatives, our work is us in a lot of ways, when we can actually separate ourselves a bit more, we can go, well, Hey, listen, it just sounds like you don't have the budget for for like my services. And that's okay. But you're not going to budge on your budget and I'm not going to budge on my price. And so we can become a bit more like, hey, it's it's totally okay if you can't afford this. and and being okay with saying no to people who aren't the right fit is is such a good skill to learn. And I think we have to back ourselves and, and you're right. Like, I think we need to really understand who, when we're kind of creating these offers or these services or packages, whatever you want to call it, when we're creating them, we need to think about our dream client and, and who they are, what they want and Maybe you recognize, well, hey, they're actually, it's not renovations. It's completely new builds. That's who I wanna be working with because they've got the budget for like the type of work I wanna do. If that's the case, then only speak to those people. Don't, don't talk to anyone else. In your marketing, make sure you're speaking to those people, those elevated customers, because while you're talking to the low hanging fruit, you're missing out on the, the big wins because you're, you're wasting your time or not wasting your time, but you're spending your time on people who aren't your dream clients. And so it's a process to get there. Like it's not an overnight thing, but I think if you can speak to your dream customer, and if it's, if it's a customer that has more budget, then speak to that in your marketing, speak to that on your Instagram, like talk about your offers and say, we work with these types of people and those people will come out of the woodwork and go, oh, you're talking to me? Cool, I'm, I, I totally get that. Once I started, once I really started drilling down into, hey, I, I love working with creative service providers. So like you, Nat, interior designers, I work with graphic designers, photographers, coaches. It's a lot of women, uh, we do have some, some men in our programs, but it's a lot of women who are creative. And once I started saying, hey, I work with creative service providers to help them to skyrocket their business. Once I started saying that, they kind of started coming out like from from everywhere. They were like, oh, you're talking to me now. And it was like, it only shifted when I changed how I communicated. So I think it's about putting out, putting your dream client actually saying who they are and putting it out there.
0: Yeah. And so what about then that idea of scope creep, you know, when yes. you start working for somebody and you sort of perhaps you're saying like, okay, I work on an hourly rate, you know, this is my hourly rate uh-huh. and, um, or a lot of interior designers, you might do a concept package and then beyond that it's an hourly rate, but it's like, well, how long does it take to source a couch? How long does it take to, mm-hmm. you know, create a, a palette for some, you know, and if you want To be good you probably want to invest that time but at the same time it can be challenging to sort of say well that's actually taking me you know however many hours let's just say three hours or five hours to do that particular thing and -hmm. somebody might be thinking that's a lot of time you know so i'm just curious about your take on scope creep and and actually charging for how long it takes you but feeling confident in knowing that you're not wasting your client's time, but you're still getting paid for what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I love this question. Totally. So I don't love hourly rates. I, I think when, when you become really efficient and, and really experienced at what you do, you can do things pretty quickly. So like, let's say, for example, for me, okay, I can write a caption for a social media post pretty quickly. Like I can, I can do that pretty quickly, because I've been doing it for years, (laughs) like, and I, it's, it's my skill set. So why should I get penalized for doing that in 15 minutes when someone, someone else takes an hour? Like, why should we be penalized for being fast? That's the issue I have with hourly rate. And so I think if if you think about it, you don't get paid for the, and Jim Rohn says this, he says, you don't get paid for the hour, you get paid for the value that you bring to the hour. So first thing I would say is I understand there are instances where hourly rate is the only way to go, and so that's okay, but make sure your hourly rate, if you are fast, make sure your hourly rate is reflects the value that you bring to that hour, because Yeah, you shouldn't get penalized for being fast and like good at your job. (laughs) Uh, The second thing I would say with scope creep is we kinda, I think everything kind of rises and falls on communication. So if you can, when a client starts with you, if you can set in your onboarding, if you can set really clear expectations and say, we're gonna do this, we require this from you, Especially in long projects, I think it's really good to say, this is how we communicate. This is the channel in which we communicate uh, so that they're not like sending you text messages, sending you voice messages, like writing you crazy emails. Like you, you really need to lead that process. And then I think from the outset, you need to say, this is what you have paid for. You have paid for this, this, and this. Here is what is outside of the scope, and we're just going to be really upfront about it right now. Uh, If you change your mind about your selections after the revision process is done, if you change your mind about that, totally happy to accommodate you. However, it's going to cost this or it's going to start at this so that they kind of understand the gravity of, Okay, they're being really direct with me and really clear. They're setting expectations, they're setting boundaries. And it also means that your clients don't stuff you around. (laughs) Because if you say, hey, totally happy to do it, but a revision fee like starts at $500, then they're going to actually go, "Okay, well, I I probably just want to get all of my notes to you in the first revision (laughs) so that I don't stuff you around and so that there isn't that scope creep. And it's almost it's like, hey, totally happy to accommodate you. It's just going to cost this much. And if you've said that up front. And if they've signed something, like if they've signed a contract, or if they, if you've walked them through it, like I think a contract is great. What makes a contract better is if you verbally walk them through. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to be amazing. We're so excited. Here's what we're going to cover. Here's what we need from you. Uh, does that sound all good? And then they're like, Yes, that sounds great. Okay, so you need to communicate with with us by this date. You need, like, we need you to communicate like this. We need you to give feedback like this all of a sudden they're kind of feeling like they have to own part of the process. And then you say, cool, there might be things that come up as we go along. That's so fine. Here's what happens in that situation. Then you've outlined it at the beginning. When they come back to you and go, Hey, I'd love a revision. You can go, absolutely. Here's remember how we talked about that. Let's do it. Here's how that works. If you solve the problem upstream, like before it even happens, then when scope creep does happen, it's not an awkward conversation. It's a, it's kind of a reminder of the first conversation you've had, if that kind of makes sense.
0: Do you know, as, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, I you are so confident with how you talk about these ideas and I'm sure like in, to have those types of conversations and I'm curious and I was also thinking, do you know what? builders, like tradespeople, they have absolutely mm. no issue with going, oh, well, that, yeah. that's just, you know, you have to pay for this. You have to, I, even though they've made the mistake, Yes, often you still have to pay them to come and fix the mistake. And I wonder if it's a bit of a male female thing, which is perhaps yes. a, like a conversation for another day. <laughs> but, but I feel that often women really lack that confidence and you know i feel quite confident in certain areas of my life but having those types of conversations that you're Mm. talking about like i'm like yes 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 and i'm like but i know if it came to me i would be like um so let's have a look at the contract you know and i know that i would (laughs) not (laughs) i'm like i need to channel laura but i'm curious have you always been confident in that way or is this a skill that you've had to learn or how would you you know encourage or what what tips or advice could you give Mm. to people to, to feel confident having those kind of conversations?
1: Oh my gosh, Nat, I am, I am a (laughs) conflict avoider. Like this, for me, I have sorted out my onboarding and done this myself out of preservation (laughs) because like, for me, I'm like, I don't want to have that awkward conversation of like, I, when I was running an agency, I would just do the work. I would just go, Oh, whatever. It's not worth me sending, you know, a $200 invoice, even though it is for the mindset of my time is worth something. So I think for me, I've had to learn it. This is a skill and it's one that I'm always, you know, having to improve on. Um, But I think. I remember I had this moment like, it's so funny that that your view of me is that, oh, like, I, you know, I can kind of do the things I've had to do that out of necessity because I had a moment <laughs> where I, I was like, I had a, I have a team and I was trying to manage my team. And I was really struggling with giving feedback to my team, um, because I was avoiding conflict. And at the root of it, I was struggling with being a people pleaser. And I was so worried about what other people would think of me that, oh, you know, I don't want to be unfair. I don't want them to think I'm harsh, or I don't want them to think I'm being too demanding or any of the things I, I kind of would rather it, for me, I was like, well, I'll overextend myself in order to avoid a, a tough conversation with someone. And I remember so distinctly, it kind of all came to a head for me. And I was like, sitting at my sister's place, my mom was there. And my mom is like the sweetest, kindest person ever. Like she is so kind, but she also is like a velvet sledgehammer. And so she will like, (laughs) so she will kind of say things that you're like, wow, that's really true. And that's really direct, but, uh, like she said it kind of in a really kind way and so she sat me down and she was like laura the people pleaser must die and i was like you're right and i was like crying i was like the people pleaser must die and at that was a moment where my business shifted where i was like do you know what me being a people pleaser serves everyone but me and ultimately it actually doesn't serve serve my clients it doesn't serve my team if i don't challenge them directly and care about them personally if i don't do that like i'm not a good leader i'm not a good boss i'm not a good friend even even with friendships like if we can't be honest and real and do it from a place of hey i care deeply about you I i think that we just stay stuck in this cycle of feeling like we are at the mercy of everyone else's opinion or thoughts or needs and we put ourselves last and yes i think women struggle with this way more than men <laughs> like 100% so i think it's I, I, and maybe that's a generalization but i do think it's it's more prevalent for women and especially for creative women so i think you know, the the thing for me with boundaries and with expectations with clients is I am so upfront now with our clients when they join any of our programs. I'm like, Hey, sometimes we're going to give you some tough love and I need you to know it's from a place of love. This is what we're going to deliver. Like, we can't do the work for you. We're going to like give you all the tools, but you've got to like, we're going to give you the keys to the car, but you've got to drive. And so we, we say that upfront. And I, I verbally say it to them as well as get them to sign something. So they all agree. And then if anything comes up, I'm like, remember what we said, like, you've got to drive, I can't do it for you. I wish I could, but I can't. And so it becomes like, they go, oh yeah. Okay. No, you did tell me that. And I signed it. So cool. And they recognize themselves. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, Laura did say that. And so it becomes like a non-issue because it's like, well, You just gotta (laughs) like, let's keep moving, let's keep going. But like, we've got to kind of have guardrails. I think those things just give us guardrails to work from.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of that sort of, I think it's maybe Brene Brown said it first or you know popularized Mm -hmm. it anyway, that clear is kind. That idea of being clear is kind. And yeah, maybe I should have like a little note (laughs) on my laptop to say, clear is kind. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, you, as you mentioned, you work with creatives, your, um, I'm going to call you a creative business coach. I don't know if that's how you kind of label yourself. Um, you have a group coaching program, the people who join your program, where are they often in their career? Mm -hmm. Like where, you know, at what point are they kind of coming to you because they feel like I need help because I think for some people, they might think like, why, you know, what, what is this business coach thing? And, you know, why would yeah. somebody need somebody? And, um, and other people will be like, I really need someone. <laughs> so, what, you know, who are the types of people that join you in terms of where they're at in their business? And, yeah. and what are the benefits of joining something like that? I do want to talk about investing in yourself and community, and we can get into yeah. those in more detail. Yeah. But perhaps for now, you can just sort of say like, you know, where are those people at in their journey?
1: yeah that's such a good question so we i have found my sweet spot as a coach is helping people go from like we work with people inside our program the next level club which is where i spend most of my time we work with people who are at 5k a month minimum the reason we start there is because it just means that they've got a proof of concept like they've they've done enough work they're not total beginners we do have a a course for beginners but where i spend most of my time is in that 5k a month mark to helping people to get to 30k months and beyond and the whole idea is i really believe as a creative you can scale your business to 30k months 40k months 50k months with a really small team and without having to sacrifice your freedom or your creativity and you can do it in a way that's sustainable. So that's the big thing that I help people to do. And so a lot of the time, it means launching a course or starting a digital product, or it's having something that's that's a bit um, more passive um, as well. So that's the big thing that we work with people on. And a lot of people, when they they come to us, they're struggling with their mindset, they're struggling with their systems, they're struggling with they're great at what they do, but they have just they don't have a plan to grow their business or they simply don't know how to run a business yet. And that's okay. When I started my business, I was good at what I did. I had no idea how to run a business. I was like, like I had to figure it out on my own. And so that's why I really love helping people in that spot because there is so much learning and it's such a personal development journey. Starting and running a business is one of the biggest personal development journeys you can go on and so, thinking that you can start a business and be perfect and amazing at it straight away is, it's just not true, (laughs) it's just not possible. So that's the part that I love helping people with is like, running a business is a skill. Let's let's figure out how to learn the skill. And that's kind of the main thing we do.
0: I think for so many people, when you start, you know, exploring this idea of what you wanna do with your career and we've sort of touched on like, you're often Mm. very scrappy, you'll do work for anyone (laughs) and all of those things. But then there comes a point, I think, where it's like you can wear yourself out being scrappy and it's, mm-hmm. you need to then have, you know, a goal to work towards or you need to think like, I just can't keep working like this forever. Like there's something that's, you know, that's not fundamentally yeah. working when there are so many things that you need to do as someone who is growing a business. Like, how do you work out where you should focus on?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. So I think it really does depend on where you're at in your business journey and and where, um, where you wanna be. But I think my big thing that I say to people is like, when you are, you know, if you are kind of thinking about your journey of like getting to six figures, what you focus on getting to six figures might be entirely different to six figures to 500K. And then 500K to a million is totally different area of focus. And so we need to think about, well, where are you at in your business journey and where do you wanna be? So that's kind of the first thing. And then my big rule of thumb is until you're at a million dollars in revenue, you need to be focusing on revenue generating activities. And that's not to say everyone wants to get to a million dollars, that's not the thing, but it's just once you hit seven figures, then you need to start thinking about scale, team, all of those different things as well, but I think as a general rule of thumb, when you run a small business and a small team, or maybe it's just you, you need to focus on the things that are going to make you money. And I really think there, those are two areas, which is marketing and sales, and client delivery. Like initially, you have to, you kind of are wearing all the hats. The things that don't make you money are admin, um, installing systems, automating things those things aren't revenue generating activities. So those are the things that I'm very quickly, when I look at someone's business, I'm like, let's outsource that straight away. Because if we can get you focusing on the things that make you money and the things that keep your business alive, we can help you to grow your business. And so I think about marketing and sales like oxygen in your business. And if you don't have those two things, you don't have a business because we need to have leads and we need to be landing clients. So that's your like, yes, delivering beautiful work and creating beautiful stuff is gonna help you to get more clients, absolutely. Like you don't wanna be epic at marketing and sales, but crap at delivering. Like that's not that's not a viable business either. But I think a lot of us as creatives, we we're good at the delivery, we're good at our craft. So what we need to do is recognize that one of our primary roles is to keep the business alive The way we do that is marketing and sales. Those are the things that are going to keep your business going.
0: So when somebody is at the point where they're struggling to get enough revenue in, Mm. what do they need to understand to then make that decision to invest in themselves to join something like group coaching? Because, you know, that idea of like investing in yourself or investing in your knowledge or investing in your business can seem really almost like counterintuitive like but i don't have the money you know like i'm struggling to pay my Mm -hmm. bills and all of that so what would you say to somebody who is feeling like that right now you know they they're trying to grow their business they're struggling to like you know make enough money as it is and then it's like well how on earth could i even think Mm -hmm. about doing something like that or Mm -hmm. why would it be worth my while
1: my big question is what is it costing you to not know how to run your business? What does it cost you? The longer you wait to learn how to get clients, to learn how to sell to those leads that you have, the longer it takes you to do that, the The longer it takes for you to like the longer you stay in that crap stuck point where you're like, it's the feast and famine mode, or it's like, oh my goodness, like why did I quit my day job? I should have, like this is stressful. When we don't have financial stability, it is really, really stressful. So if I think about it, when I think about investing in myself and my business, I invest a lot into my own development and coaching. I've had to work a lot on my mindset because as as I was saying earlier, the people pleaser thing, that didn't just go away one day. I had to really do a lot of work and I'm still doing a lot of work in that area. But if I wanna solve that problem and if that problem is costing me, I need to then weigh up, well, how much am I willing to invest to solve the problem? That's why I love coaching because you're learning a skill. And if I think about the best investment you can make, Warren Buffett says this, "The the most important investment you can make is in yourself. And so I think as a business owner, we need to recognize that we are the business. And so we have to invest in ourselves. And, and I've had clients who've had to borrow money to join one of our programs. And the results were crazy because the results for this particular client who had to borrow money was crazy because she was like, I have to make this work. <laughs> and I, for myself, my, the first coaching program I ever did, I was making four hundred dollars a week. The program was twelve hundred dollars a month, and I'm not great at maths, but I'm pretty sure that was most of my income that went into this this program. And so I was like, I need to make money from this ASAP. It meant that I showed up to every single call. It meant that I got scrappy. I was like, I will, like, I am in this because it it cost me to do it, and it cost me even more to not do it. So I think it's about, of course, you want to make good financial decisions and I'm not anyone to like, I'm not the person to be like, you know, burn it all down and just invest and who cares? Don't think about anything else. I'm not that at all. But I do think there is an element of if you look at your future and if you look at, well, where will I be in six months time if I don't understand these key elements that I need, or if I don't have these problems solved, will I be in the exact same spot? Yes, (laughs) the answer is probably yes. And so I think when we're honest with ourselves like that, it just becomes a thing of, well, it's a risk either way, the risk is that I stay the same or the risk is that I do this thing and I get better and I get results and I make it work. And so I think it's just kind of weighing, what are you, what are you willing to risk?
0: Yeah, and how long do you want to feel stuck? I guess as well. Yes, it's kind of a good question to ask yourself.
1: Now I know you talk a
0: lot about community within your program and the importance of surrounding yourself with other people who are on a similar journey as you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think for myself, like this is something that I need to get better at because I'm like I'm so busy doing all the things and. You know, and I think that sometimes it can be a lonely journey being an entrepreneur. And I think that particularly if you are the sort of person, and I'm sure that many people who are listening to this today, you know, maybe you do have that passion within you that you actually really do want to create, make, you know, some kind of business through your creativity. But none of your friends, are, you know, are doing anything like that. You know, they're yeah. maybe they're just, you know, happy to be stay at home mums or they're, they're, you know, in a finance or something completely different to you or, or whatever. And talk to us about why community is not a fluffy idea.
1: Oh, I love this question. Um, I, I think community is so underrated. I think you're totally right that we think of it as a fluffy, oh, this is a nice to have, I'm busy, I'm doing all the things, like, I don't know, Nat, you have like four kids, I don't know how you do all the things, like, I don't know. (laughs) But I think the thing I've found, and and the thing I've had to realize in my, even like the way we run our programs is, it's, it's so much more powerful when you have diverse perspective. And that's the first thing, I think, we we need other perspectives than just one person's. So I have found that with the people that I work with, they get way better results because they're actually like putting their ideas out to a broader set of eyes in a lot of ways. And it's and that diverse perspective is so helpful because I might think one thing because of my experience, and because of my history and because of my upbringing or culture or whatever, and another person might come with a totally different perspective that I'd never thought of. So that diversity of, of thought, I think, is really important. The second thing is totally what you said, Nat, like running a business can be really lonely. Most of us, you know, as creatives, we we work either from home or we work alone a lot and. I think we're better together. I think as creatives, we we thrive on collaboration. We thrive on like getting different ideas. And, and I think that that's really important to feel connected to other people. I also think in the moments where business is brutal or tough or epic as well, if you don't have people to share it with, and if you don't have people to talk it through with or to just celebrate the wins with you can kind of feel like you just it's just you in your little world on zoom or like working with your clients and and maybe talking to your husband or your partner and maybe they get it maybe they don't but it's i think so empowering when you have other people who can not only celebrate the wins with you but also kind of shoulder some of those seasons where it's tough with you i think i think we need that
0: Yeah, no, it's really important. Now, I want to ask you because you did start out helping people with their social media. And I think that this is one of those areas that so many people think, okay, like I want to start, you know, doing interior design or start putting myself out there. And so I think instantly people think, okay, I'm going to, you know, start posting on Instagram. Yeah. What are your thoughts about? Instagram, I mean, like how long have we got, <laughs> like the, key, the key idea is like, what are some of your thoughts for somebody who's starting out in terms of how they should use Instagram? Should they even bother using Instagram anymore? Um, I mean, my husband keeps saying it's a die. I don't know. I mean, I think lots of people are feeling kind of like yeah. that. Should they be on TikTok? You know, should they t- start threads or how on earth are they supposed to juggle all these different things.
1: platforms and,
0: you know, where they should put their time and attention?
1: Yeah, I, I love this question. So when it comes to Instagram, I think, you know, recognizing that you may have a love hate relationship with it is totally, it's totally fine. And and know that you're not alone. If some days you're like, I'm crushing it today. And, and the next day you're like, I hate this app so much. Like, that's totally fine, <laughs> uh, I think. You know, I think it's about understanding your audience. If your audience is on Instagram, and if that's where they're searching, a lot of people search on Instagram before they go to Google now. So I think for a lot of creatives, Instagram is still an important part of your strategy. However, it should not be your entire strategy. It is not a marketing plan. It is just part of a marketing plan. And so if you can use it to build your email list, to build an audience that you own. Um, and if you can use it as a way to connect and engage first, and then to, to sell and to invite people into your offers, then that's that's gonna do really well for you. I, I really believe that you need to build trust and add value. And you also need to make offers. You need to invite people to take the next step. Um, so making sure that you do that on Instagram is really important because people want to know how they can work with you and how you can help them. So I think approaching it as a piece of the puzzle is going to help you to not stress so much about, oh, like, should I be doing videos? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? I think it's more about, okay, do you have a bit of a content strategy? Um, are you making offers? Are you adding value? Are you building trust with your audience? And if you're doing that, and if you're doing it consistently, then that's going to help you big time. One other really simple thing about Instagram that's working really well for us and for our clients at the moment is, um, just when a post performs well, (laughs) all you need to do is, is throw a little bit of money behind it and just boost it we are finding that that is helping us to get so many new followers each week. So particularly if you boost a reel. So if you don't have to go through ads manager, it doesn't need to be complex, but you just want to look at perf- posts that perform well organically and throw five or $10 a day behind it. Try it for seven days and see what happens. Test and play with your audience, with your targeting for sure. but. That's just a really good way to start to expand your audience, because I think a lot of people are like, I feel like I'm speaking to the same three people over and over again. And so that's a really nice way to start to boost your following um, with with your target market, because there's no point having 100,000 followers who aren't your people. So that's just a really simple strategy that you can implement that you don't need to be an expert at. You can do it today and i just really like to go off what has performed well organically because that just tells you that people resonated and if you amplified it more people would resonate as well
0: so i think one of the things when people talk about instagram is often that sort of sense of like it's such a time suck and yeah I'm curious for you who, you know, you're further along in your journey than perhaps, you know, some of the listeners or maybe me or whatever. I don't know. Um, You know, how do you structure your time in relation to, you know, how much time do you spend on, you know, Instagram in terms of like either creating the content for it or, um, you know, actually posting or doing, you know, the the uh, engagements and all of that side of thing. And, and just like a little bit of an overview of like, well, how do you structure your days and weeks and and your projects? Mm.
1: Yeah. I love this question. So I am a big believer in designing your ideal week. And I really believe in batching your tasks that are similar. So for me, I kind of have a couple of days a week where I know that I'm going to be on client calls. I know that I'm going to be on coaching calls. I have a one day a week where I know I'm going to be doing podcast episodes. So I make sure my hair looks nice. <laughs> so it's like I kind of theme my days so that I'm doing similar tasks in like in the same day. So I'm not going from like talking with my team like having a meeting with my team to having a sales call to then trying to create content. Like I think for creators, we need, we need to find flow. So if I think about how to do that when it comes to your content and your engagement, because we want to be engaging daily, I like to think about, well, how can I batch my content creation? So I have, um, I set aside a half day each week where i'm really just focused on creating content whether it's content for my podcast content for um videos or writing like writing captions for posts or thinking about okay well what's my content plan for the next month i like to do that all in one sitting because it just helps me to shut off all the distractions focus on getting it done rather than it being a daily thing where i'm reactive and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have something scheduled for today. I'd rather, you know, I think about something practical would be to go, okay, I'm gonna sit down for an hour. I'm gonna get a pen and paper, and I'm gonna look at the week ahead and the key things I want to talk about on socials. I'm just gonna plan it out, then I'm done. Next step would be, okay, well, now I've got my plan. Now I'm gonna actually create the stuff. And so you might do that in on a different day when you feel more in in the flow and that's totally fine but it's much easier to sit down and create stuff if you've got a plan so i think kind of first step is create a plan of what you want to be doing each week on social media or in your email list or in any of other channels that you're using and then set aside a time to create the stuff so it might be designing the tiles or filming some videos or writing the captions whatever that looks like you don't have to do it all in one sitting you can chunk it down into smaller steps because and then maybe the third step is well then i'm going to schedule it all and you know scheduling is kind of a mindless task so you could do it while you sit down with a glass of wine watching gilmore girls like there's no you know like you can kind of find your moments of i'm at my best creatively at this time of day so that's when i'm going to actually create the content but i'm in a planning mood over here and i i can schedule the kids are in bed i can schedule and i can watch some tv and do it so i think it's about identifying how you want to do each task and what each task requires of your brain at that time as well
0: yeah so good all right before we get on to the last little batch of questions um i've got one more for you which is i really want to learn like what what would you say a sum of this is a big one though (laughs) what are some of the big what are some of the (laughs) biggest lessons that you've learned personally on your own business journey? Oh, this is such a big one Nat. um, (laughs) I mean, I kind of asked that a little bit in the the next questions, but I'm just curious, like, you know, those
1: big things, I think, I think the big thing for me is, uh, the people pleasing thing has been a big part of my journey that I've had to work on. Uh, I think the other thing I've learned is that, or I'm learning, I should say, is you've kind of got to ask for stuff and i think nat you were saying earlier like you don't love asking people for things and i'm a bit the same and so i think i've i'm learning that the people who put themselves out there and kind of aren't afraid of rejection they they're the ones who end up with the cool opportunities like connecting with amazing people like they they the people who can put themselves out there like that they end up kind of they, I don't know, they just end up with cooler opportunities and and they end up in spaces that we'd miss out on if we didn't put ourselves out there. So I think that's probably the second thing is like, you've got to ask for stuff. Uh, and that's when I'm learning. I, I'm not a master at that yet, but that's when I'm learning. Um, and the And probably the third thing would be the best communicator wins. I think in anything in business, whether it's client stuff, whether it's your marketing, whether it's in your sales process whatever that is whether it's when you start building out a team the best communicator wins so if you can communicate with clarity and with confidence you can succeed and i think it's just such a good skill uh, and it's one that i'm continually trying to learn how to how can i communicate better and so i think that's probably been my my big learning as well all right awesome
0: all right i've got the last they kind of quickish
1: kind of questions,
0: love it, Uh, last 10. (laughs) Um, So which five words best describe you?
1: I would say kind, funny, creative, driven, and generous.
0: Nice. What's uh, the best lesson you've learned life,
1: business, whatever. (sighs) Uh, You always need more margin than you think
0: yep (laughs) so true um (laughs) i'm really bad at estimating my girl. um what's been your proudest achievement so far
1: i think probably my proudest achievement in the business um probably my proudest achievement has been launching this group coaching program the next level club i think I'm proud of that because it's something that I really wanted to do for a really long time and because like the results that our clients have been getting have been amazing and so I I feel really like it it's it's working really well and and it's it's helping them so that's probably the thing I feel most proud of Who inspires you? Uh I would say my mom. <laughs> my mom gives me she gives me a lot of wisdom um but in terms of business stuff too i would say uh donald miller is a big one um amy porterfield is another one who who really inspires me i actually skipped a question what's been your best decision ah best decision (sighs) um i think best decision actually my best decision was rebranding from my company name, Lala Social Club, to just my name, Laura Higgins. I did that in May of 2023. And that has been such a good decision for our business. It's funny because
0: I I'm kind of glad that you did that because um I was talking to my husband and I'm like, yeah, I'm having a podcast with Lala, like, Laura, Lala. <laughs> <It's> like, Which <laughs> one do I use? Yeah, yes. You know, I think it's like it's so simple, you know, so, just silly things like that. Like I yes. think it's Yeah. The only thing I'd say, I mean, I actually warp intentionally. This top. I, I always do this. Like when I go to obviously listeners can't see this. <laughs> but um <laughs> but um I intentionally wore this kind of like dark browny sort of colour, which is more in keeping with your original colours. Yes. Um, I don't think I'm gonna be wearing lime green anytime soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's um, totally
0: fine. And <laughs> it's I I just like it's something that I do. Like even when I go to people's homes, I often dress the way that I think the home is. Like it's just oh my gosh, I don't I do intentionally that. like I kind of do and I don't. I just, <laughs> it feels like i'm more in synergy with the person so I was like, i'll wear something that's in keeping with your former colors so sorry about hey, but, that no no, no light for me. <laughs> your
1: color palette is totally my my clothing color palette 100 i'm still a, i'm a neutrals i'm a neutral clothes gal <laughs> people have to check out your Instagram
0: to see what we're talking about with your colors. And I'm like, where did she get that lime green top? Like, How did she even find it? <laughs> I don't even know.
1: I don't even know. It was like, I, I got served an ad with a lime green top and I was like, that, I'm buying that. <laughs> um, what are you passionate about? Oh, what am I passionate about? I, I'm really passionate about seeing people do what they're meant to do.
0: What dream do you still want to fulfill?
1: I want to write a book. What are you
0: reading right now?
1: Uh, I'm reading The War of Art by Steven Pressfield and 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Brady.
0: And what are you listening to? What podcast do you like to listen to?
1: I love listening to, I really love listening to Business Made Simple by Donald Miller. I also love listening to, um, The Game by Alex Holmosey. And there's another one I listen to. That's more of a mindset one. Um, I forget what it's called. It might be called On Purpose. It's by this guy, Jay Shetty, and it's, that's really good too. He interviews some incredible people.
0: And finally, what
1: yeah no he
0: does his books really good as well uh what piece of advice would you give to your younger self um
1: i would probably just say don't think too much and just go for it great that's so good
0: (laughs) okay and finally before before you leave um So tell people how they can connect with you, you know, if they're interested in learning more about your programs, what's the best place to to learn more about that? Because you've also got my marketing playbook, which is a great place for people to start, which I've I've done that course as well, which is really great.
1: Well, the best place to connect, I hang out on Instagram a lot. So if you just find me at Laura Higgins, um, we can connect. I'd love to chat with you and and learn more about your business. And yeah, if you want to chat with me about any of our programs, I can give you all of the details. Um, otherwise you can visit laurahiggins.com and we've got some info on there and some, some great resources. And I also have a podcast called My Business Playbook. So you can check all of that out at um, laurahiggins.com.
0: Yeah, and of course we've put all of the details in the in the show notes. So thank you so much, Laura. I think so many people are gonna find this really valuable. And I certainly have love talking to you. As I said, I mean Aww. I could easily just talk for hours and hours. I know, I um, feel the same. But um <laughs> yeah, but it, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Nat. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All of the links and info for this episode are at Nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode, or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation, where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.